Hi, I'm Mark Molesley, and you're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time. I hope you've had a great week. Thank you very much for listening to us recently and also our recent midweek pod. I'm Luke Edwards, and joining me this week it is Dickie Wharton. Hello, Dickie. Good afternoon, Luke. Good to see you. And also with us, it is Chris Pratt. Hello, Chris. Hello, Luke. Hello, guys. And here is a back-to-back episode. Delighted he's joining us. It is Tom Lang. Hello, Tom. Hi, guys. Nice to, uh, nice to see you. Also with us, it is Rob Worrell. Hello, Rob. Yeah, hi, Luke. Hi, guys. Great to have everybody together. Doesn't happen much. So, England C have announced that they're going to be playing at Wales in March. And there's that's really good news. They haven't played for a while now. So Rob caught up with England C goalkeeping coach Mick Payne to chat a bit more about it. England C are back 30th of March at Carnarvon, where uh, the last fixture was due to be played, of course, when COVID struck. Uh, it's going to be the best part of a couple of years, isn't it? You must be absolutely delighted. Yes, uh, you're dead right, Rob. I mean, uh, absolutely delighted all round for everybody concerned, you know, from the top to the bottom, you know, from the, the people that have made it happen uh, and get it back on. You know, Paul Fairclough, of course, himself, who's been a stalwart, you know, hopefully with a, myself alongside him, but all our staff. But the big the big winners for me are the players. The players in, you know, uh, in non-league football have got a chance now to represent their country yet again. So for me... As I said, it's a win-win for everybody. And the biggest news, sort of, other than the actual fixture, you know, coming back, is that the age restrictions have been lifted, Mick. So, uh, my goodness me, you and Paul Fairclough have got uh, some list of names to go through. And, 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 and looking at it from a purely selfish point of view, potentially, what a team, and not just a team, but Wales as well, what strong teams could uh, potentially be playing on the night, we could potentially see uh, the cream of non-league out there. Yeah, huge point, Robert. Uh, you made, as, yeah, I mean, as people may have not known, it was always uh, an under-23 side. Well, an under-23 side for the last number of years. We did have an open age prior to that. But yeah, it's now uh, an open age group, which has, I go back to, you know, players who are playing at all levels will have a chance to play. And you're right, I mean, there is so much talent within the, uh, well, in the non-league system, the National League, we know there's some great players in there, players who really should be done in the uh, the, the, the Football League. It's, you know, that's the, let's not dress it up too much. Players are playing in the National League and below who, who are very, very high-quality players. So, mm. yeah, it's going to be a, a tough job for uh, the powers that be uh, to, to select this side and... Paul will get his scouts out as well. Paul Fairclough, his scouts will be mm. in and around all the games and uh, it will be an interesting squad that will be selected. But let's hope it's going to be the squad uh, that's going to be, uh, that the team goes on and produces a, a great performance. And you're right, they're, they're playing against the Welsh side. They, they'll put a good group out as well, Rob. So, yeah, mm. it should be a game. And if I was a supporter, I'd be getting along to see this game because as many people can come and see it, then we, if you've already said, it's the, the cream of the non-league players. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I would imagine, in fact, I know already from just some of the follows and shares we've had at uh, NL Full Time on Twitter, that, um, you know, the players are, are buzzing for it. Imagine, you know, being the one, perhaps, or maybe maybe two in, in the odd case, you know, from, from a particular club that, um, that can represent their country and, uh, you know, just give... 
give those players who are very professional anyway and have an awful lot to motivate them, but that little bit of extra motivation uh, over the coming weeks, um, you know, to try and see if they can be the ones that, that, that get to represent their club. Without doubt, without doubt. As you say, you know, the, uh, I keep alluding to the, to the National League. I mean, the league itself, let's be honest, you know, the top clubs up there, are, they're fighting for those uh, promotional paces. The, the league itself is, is outstanding for me at the moment because of the players that are, you know, out there every week. But then saying that, you know, go all the way down to the teams, all the way down to the bottom. Uh, i go back to it, quality, quality, quality. And they will be reading this. They will be seeing this. They will be anxious to say, yeah, I'm going to step my game up, you know, Although they've been playing well, but I'm going to step my game up because we don't know who's going to be watching to uh, select us for, you know, perhaps an England uh, cap. So, yeah, every player should have the uh, the sort of uh, mindset to say, you know what, we're going to really uh, set our stall out now to uh, to represent our country. Fantastic stuff. It will be great, uh, I'm sure, you know, if, if, if not before, then nearer the time to to catch up with, uh, with yourself and with Paul and... Uh, you know, I'd have to say, listeners, from a media point of view, Paul and, and Mick are an absolute dream to work with. They obviously embrace the, the coverage. And, uh, you know, what a, what, what a gathering it's going to be of potentially, uh, you know, some, some, some... It'd be one of those landmark occasions as well, I think, Mick, won't it? Because we will see players playing that night, um, probably several of them, that uh, over the next year or two will quite rightly find themselves playing uh, in the Football League. Yeah, I mean, you know, you say it's a landmark game. It is a landmark game because we're back. And I go back to your point. If the, the, the non-league football scene of the last season or so, Rob, let's be honest, the crowds have been brilliant. You know, people come flocking to... Because sometimes they're the only games they could get to as, as uh, supporters. Uh, you know, when we had the lockdown and things like that, and there's no sort of one in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Crowds were then gradually... People got back into the stadiums. So... You know, again, you know, the, 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 they've seen they've seen the, the non-league game, what it's all about, and what it can produce. So, and I really, really encourage people to get down and watch this game, make a make a couple of days of it if they can. And uh, as you say, in terms of uh, where we are with with, this, with the team, and you know what Paul's done and behind the scenes, yeah, it's been it's, it's great. I mean, you've been there, you've seen it, what mm. what goes on, mm. and it's a professional outfit. The, the way they the, the players are treated when they come, and you know. They, well, it's, it's an England team, you know, mm-hmm. and they go away, Rob, as you know, you've seen it again. When these players get presented with their uh, international cap, mm. what an honour, what an honour. You know, their families, their friends are there and you can just see the, you know, the, the, the sort of smile on their faces. And I go back to what you just said, you know, what's been going on on social media. I, I'm just using an example, but James Constable, you know, I see him at a game, uh, FA Cup game a little while ago and, He's speaking about his sort of experiences when he came away, and he said it's the best thing that's ever happened to him in his career. He said I've had a great career. He said, but the the England setup of getting involved in that and those matches we played and the, the memories and the players you played with, they are so so special, and you can't take those away. So yeah, it's going to be an occasion that we you know we want to make sure you know, we, we, we get it in order. We're we're not sort of you know it's not over. It's just starting, so we've got to get it right and go out there and. Uh, put on a great, great spectacle for, for non-league football. And that was Mick Payne. And there's a lot of excitement, isn't it? Because as we mentioned there, it's not just going to be under 23s or whatever. It's, it's, it's open age and they've got so much wealth of talent to choose from, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. And uh, 
Um, yeah, from first of all, it's it's got us, and I think particularly me, really, really excited this week. I've been like a kid in a sweet shop. I, I literally couldn't wait to find the first opportunity to get my playing squad spreadsheets out and pick a, pick my team. But there's a number of different criteria you've got to think about as well. Um, one interesting fact is that this game is being funded not just by the National League, but by the Northern Premier League and by the Isthmian League, etc. as well. So you would wonder if it was appropriate that players beyond the National League itself get picked. And that's obviously, we know there's a wealth of talent in the National League North and South as well. Um, obviously, it was great to, um, you know, it was great to catch up. You can just hear the enthusiasm pouring out of, out of Mick Payne as well. Um, in terms of the teams, we, we probably had the most interaction we've had since we started this podcast in the week. Uh, I think roughly 20,000 kind of views or shares of the tweet. And um, it, was, it was very much along the lines of what would your team be? I mean, it's huge. There's no under 23 cap. Uh, the potential is endless, really. Where do you start? What I did was I, I gave myself the criteria to pick from the National League, which is the league that I watch week in, week out. And I, I, I'd add the caveat that I'm sure there are really worthy players playing below the National League that, that, that could and should get in this squad. I also thought, well, realistically, there's only 16 places available, plus I'm sure a short reserve list. So you would want players from as many clubs as possible as well represented um, to, you know, to, to, to extend the interest, to, to try and encourage fans to come to the game, which is on Wednesday, March the 30th, by the way, at Carnarfon Town. Um, so I limited myself to a maximum of two players per team. And this is what I came up with. Um, tough choice of goalkeeper. I would have probably gone with Loach, but I've got two other Chesterfield players. So Mark Cousins, for me, the Bromley keeper, has always played well when I've seen him. The back three, three centre-backs, uh, Aaron Hayden. I think you'll get good, strong defending from him and goals. Callum Howe, always uh, rated him. And Callum Reynolds, who I just think is the best reader of the game, even if he's not been in tip-top form of late. In the midfield, I really, really wanted to go with the two wing-backs from Boreham Wood, but I can only pick two. So I picked Jacob Mendy on the left, and I've gone with Jeff King of, um, of Chesterfield, who, who, who probably, for me, wouldn't give you as much as Kane Smith going down the wing, but uh, he'd give you uh, an awful lot of nous. Um, in midfield, you can't ignore Josh Reese. He's the highest scoring uh, midfielder, has been for a couple of seasons. And then you're spoilt for choice just in Stockport alone. You could pick Sarsovic, you could uh, pick John Rooney. But I've gone for Ryan Crowsdale, who captained the England Sea on their last game a couple of years ago in Estonia. In, in Estonia. I think he'd compliment Reese well. Up front, it's a lot easier. You can't ignore Shimanga. You can't ignore Paul Mullin. I'd have Mullin over Palmer, if I'm honest. They're both coming for big money. And for me, if you're, uh, if you're going to get crosses in from the flanks, I don't think there's anybody better to stick his head on than the Kyle Wooten of Notts County. Very quickly, uh, my five subs, all worth a mention. Uh, Hinchcliffe of Stockport. Josh Hare, always a quality player. Kieran Green at Halifax, superb. Callum Roberts, you couldn't leave that kind of flair out of your squad. And Michael Cheek for his goals and Luke just before we um, 
we get another, a team from one of the other members of, uh, of the NL time, Chris, in just a minute. I did promise on Twitter that we'd read out a couple of the teams. They've no, mostly been retweeted, um, but uh, we've got non-league files. He's gone with Fitzsimons of Weymouth in goal. Uh, Smith, Kane Smith, uh, Jamal Fifield, Will Wright and uh, Rydell of Stockport. He's gone for Will Collar, who's in great form, Armani Little uh, and Craig Tanner of, of Ebbsfleet uh, from the National League South. And then Shimanga, Cheek and Alfie Rutherford, who, of course, is in fantastic form up front for Dorkin. While I pause for breath, Luke, you itching to get a point in? Well, I mean, Dickie's a, I know Dickie's got an interesting conundrum to throw into all of this, haven't you, Dickie? I think the thought through my head potentially was uh, how amenable clubs who are perhaps going for promotion might be to actually releasing their players to take part in this game. I mean, I, I suppose the way forward there is for Paul Fairclough to have a conversation with their respective managers and perhaps select a squad based on that. Um, you know, it's weird to think that. Um, the, the same kind of club versus country dilemma, which we've seen acted out much higher up the, the football levels, might impact a, an England C team, but it, but it potentially could do. But, you know, there's still a huge amount of talent to choose from um, and it will be a, a really good occasion. I think you make a really good point. It is one that crossed my mind as well. But I tell you what, if so-and-so can't play or can't be selected, there's plenty of other people to look at and choose from. One of the things they might look to do is, is they might look to say a maximum of one per club. Because, I mean, even if you did that and if you only did the National League, you still couldn't put a player in from every team because there's only going to be 16 other than that reserve list. I'm going to say it'll be interesting as well to see. It's such a tough job for Paul Fairclough. Like I say, I've only had a couple of days to wrap my brains on this and I couldn't come up with a team because you're thinking as well, do, do Paul Fairclough reward people like Glenn Taylor, for example? He's been a stalwart in the non-league game and he said, well, you've probably never had a chance at England C before. Have a little go uh, up front or be in the squad, you know, and, and, and things like that. I mean, because it's open age, it opens up so many... Um, so many avenues, doesn't it? And like you say, it's just a shame he's only got 16 to choose from. Yeah, that's a really good point as well. And, and I guess they're going to have to apply some sort of criteria. You know, do they keep it to the young and the hungry? And, and do they keep it to the shop window, if you like, you know, for players that are likely to move up to the Football League? Um, and uh, uh, just coming back to the teams we had in, I thought Wills was a good one. Thanks very much to Joe as well, who was on the podcast the other week from Off The Line blog, who uh, did an awful lot of sharing and cajoling the uh, teams out of out of fans listening in. Uh, Will went for Boot in goal of Solihull. Kane Smith again. Uh, Bush, that was an interesting selection from, from Bromley. Carl uh, Cameron, Jamal Fifield, definitely worth a shout. Rydell again. Um, Palmer, Crowsdale and Little and then Shimanga and Cheek I'm not going to read these guys' subs out otherwise we'd be here forever and one more from Kyle uh, at Daddy to a Tribe on Twitter Mark Cousins in goal like myself Luke Waterfall, Dave Stevens, and Will Evans acknowledging the uh, the uh, tight defensive qualities of Boreham with them Maguire, Drew, Matty Casilo or Cosilo, uh, Billy Bingham, Angelo Balanta, Joe Sabara, Shimanga, and Cheek. And what about our very own Chris Pratt, the housewife favourite? You've got your to line up as well, Chris, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, now, um, considering the discussions we've just had about um, whether clubs will let their teams go, I did this 
completely off the off the top of my head, and I've just looking at my team now. I've realised that all of the players play in the play play the championship positions or playoff uh, positioned clubs, and there are sometimes a couple from one. I didn't do any subs. Um, and I did go for an injured goalkeeper in Nathan Ashmore because I think that he's the he's the best in the league. So he yeah. he he probably wouldn't be available. But I've gone for James Clark of Solihull at the back with Lawrence Maguire, Will Evans, and Jack Senior. I think needs to be rewarded. He's having a, a great season up at up at Halifax. I found the defense. I thought about the defense quite a lot actually because there's perhaps some surprises in there. I don't think there'll be any surprises with the, the midfield and the the forwards. I was going to go for a four four two because we all know that four four two is the best anyway, and and everyone will come, <laughs> everyone will come back to it. Here but is I Mike Bassett, play, England seaman. Yeah, exactly. But I wanted to play <laughs> Matty Warburton in the number ten position, so I changed it slightly to a four three one two, and um, <laughs> I've gone for a very attacking line. I've got for Will Collar and Anthony Sarsovich in the middle because I think they're doing fantastic for, for Stockport County at the minute. Liam Mandeville may have to play a little bit deeper than normal, but he's playing as a, as a right winger, genuine right winger for me um, in that team. So the balanced the three across across the middle. Matty Warburton in the number 10. And the, the two names that I think everyone are picking or most people are picking are Kabongo Shimanga and uh, Michael Cheek up front. Great team, Chris. Uh, and, and listen, this is going to run and run. It's not until the 30th of March. Um, keep your teams coming. Uh, if you tag us in at NL Full Time on Twitter, we'll give it a retweet and uh, we'll, we'll be staying very, very close to this one. I will let you know, listeners, that prior to the original game up at Carnarvon being called off, we were, we, we, that was going to be our original date to get our whole band of uh, brothers together. Uh, Wharton travel agents had, had arranged it all, <laughs> hadn't they? <laughs> uh, we got the Airbnb sorted and everything, hadn't we? But uh, whether we all get there this time or not, uh, I don't know. But hopefully we will. Hopefully um, we'll get the whole, all of us there. But we will be across it. Some of us will definitely be there. Uh, we'll get one or two interviews on the night at the game. and uh, But get along to it if you can. You know, if somebody particularly from your team gets picked, go and give them a shout because it's, not, it's going to be the only time in many, many years that we'll have potentially seen the strongest English team of non-league players playing together against Wales. And uh, a number of people have picked their Welsh 11s and there's a lot of decent Welsh players playing in the National League. But I understand... The criteria is they'll only pick them from the uh, FA Premier League of Wales. Is that right, chaps? That's what they did last time. Whether whether because they're playing a strong National League side, they will just kind of go and get some players from the National League. It makes sense when it's some of the best, maybe from the League of Wales and from the National League, and and give it a good go. Uh, but it would be interesting, and I'm sure there'd be there's some Welsh players in the National League. You'd jump at the chance to play for Wales, wouldn't you? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think we can infer from uh, Matt Badcock, who's the uh, editor-in-chief, of course, of the non-league paper, from his article in Sunday's non-league paper. I think we can infer from that that it will indeed be League of Wales players that are being selected from. Although there might be a few Welsh players in the National League uh, making a few phone calls. (laughs) I was going to say that that almost adds an extra dimension to it, because as well as England against Wales, as if that's not enough of a... Uh, an interest and it'll be a great atmosphere at the Oval I'm sure um, the idea that it's almost the, the English non-league or, or National League system against the Welsh 
Premier and this whole idea of which is the stronger league, which has the better players, that's almost like a, a little contest within a contest from this. So, yeah, there's so many dimensions to this. We're really looking forward to it. Well, cool. We're going to look at the National League first and... Chris, got to come to you on this. Stockport, top of the league, and, and they're showing the dominance. They went and swept Barnet aside away from home, didn't they? Oh, they are. They're absolutely fine, Luke. It's uh, it's unbelievable, really. Um, they've done to Barnet what they've done to a lot of teams in the last sort of two or three months as well. They were they were struggling up until half time before that late uh, goal in in injury time of the first half, and then they went on and scored an, another four and. Um, it's unbelievable, really. That's seven league wins in, in a row now, nine wins in, in all competitions. In the league, they've got uh, 27 points out of the last 10 games. They've scored 33 goals, which is more than any other side in the in the top five divisions. And they're, they're absolutely flying. And they do look unstoppable. Now, teams, so those runs can't carry on forever and they've just got to carry on riding the, the crest of that wave because... At the moment, they're looking. Uh, they are looking unstoppable. Yeah, just behind them in second place is Chesterfield. He's had a tumultuous week off the pitch, as we briefly discussed in our midweek podcast. They travelled down to Eastleigh in the late game on BT Sport. A tricky banana skin of a game, especially after Eastleigh sacked Ben Strevens, which was a bit of a controversial sacking, certainly amongst uh, the Eastleigh fans. We'll get onto that very shortly. Um, so it would have been a tough tie for Chesterfield, but eventually they prevailed. Uh, thanks to a strike from Curtis Weston, a minute from time and uh, just the tonic they needed after a tough week. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and you shouldn't really start a match at the end, but I'm going to start a match at the end because the thing that happened at the end of that match was absolutely outstanding. <laughs> what a volley. I mean, how many times do you see players hanging round on the edge, waiting for that ball to, to come out to them? And sometimes it's just to the right, sometimes it's just to the left. Well, this one came out to him and he absolutely smashed it on the volley. It was one of those ones you dream of and uh, got the winner. And it it could be an absolutely vital three points at the end of the season. What an unusual game as well, too. Both managers, well, both teams without a manager for different reasons, as as you said, Luke. And I thought Eastleigh really were really good um, on the day. I thought they were outstanding. They were obviously trying to show that um, they've got what it takes that the players, even though it didn't work out for, for Ben Strevens, and I thought they were they were brilliant on the day. But sometimes it's just moments like that that can that can make a big difference. And you know, if Chesterfield had gone back, if they dropped points there, they've obviously got all the issues going on off the pitch as well. Um, it could have been one of those moments that um, that, that made the the following games really difficult. But uh, but it didn't, and they uh, they bagged the three points. Tom, I know uh, there was a lot of surprise about Ben Strevens going. I mean, he's done a fantastic job there. Yes, they've not done quite as well this season, but you factor in his old Ben House just over a week ago as well, who's uh, one of their best players, uh, certainly a big striker for them. And um, do you think it's a bit knee-jerk because they lost to Dover? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much the actual Dover result in isolation has played into it. Um, I think... Eastleigh are on a bad run of form. That's four losses in a row for them now. Um, and as you say, the expectations are are higher. Um, but you're also right to say that Strevens has kind of had, almost had his legs done a little bit from him whilst whilst trying to manage the team. Um, they have lost, um, not not just Ben House recently, but they've also lost uh, Joe Tomlinson, 
from their squad last season as well, who's a big part of how they played. Um, and he's not got the biggest squad in the league to work with. I think it was a surprise. I think it's potentially a bad call for Eastley. Um, and actually, although you know players and staff and stuff always come out with the sort of the tweets sort of saying goodbye to the managers when managers leave, I think it's been quite noticeable just how how supportive the players' tweets have been of Ben Stevens. Um, I've seen quite a few coming out and talking about you know what a great opportunity he's given them at the club and and what a great person he was to work for as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see a where he's going to go next, but also you know whether this has a positive effect on their season or not. It's a really tough one. I mean, everybody says the same thing. Ben Strevens one of the nicest guys in football. Well, that alone doesn't buy you longer in the job, does it? But I think his record has been pretty reasonable. And I think he's done really, really well to manage the side through the transition from a higher budget side to a, to, let's face it, probably a mid-budget side in the National League. And that's where they sit in the table. Um, what wasn't lost on me was the irony, really, that Andy Hessenthaler, who, you know, him and Strevens were together at Eastleigh, they were together at Barnet, they were manager and captain. And he'll have been absolutely delighted at Dover's first win, as we discussed last week, but then probably uh, distraught the following day to hear that Strevens had been sacked. Looking at the table in third place at Halifax, they were top originally going into last weekend's game. Then they had back-to-back defeats. They had a long trip again down south, but uh, what a win for Pete Wilde's side. Matty Warburton in two goals from Billy Waters. And uh, he's doing a fantastic job, Pete Wilde, isn't he? I mean, going down to Dagenham after two tough games that they've had there, it's a fantastic result, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's the proper bounce back from Halifax, isn't it? They've had a bit of adversity in the last week or so. They've had a bit of COVID, a bit of illness. Um, and Pete Wilde's side have lost narrowly twice against good opposition as well, but that's a really good way to bounce back. And it's um, it, they'll be double pleased because not only did they get a win, but they looked a little bit free scoring again. And Billy Waters, who raced to the best part of 10 goals earlier in the season, it, the goals had dried up a bit. Um, but I tell you what, when you play against Halifax, you haven't got to just watch out for... Waters, you haven't got to just watch out for Warburton. You haven't got to just watch out for Slew. Um, you know, it's, it's it's a different player that can hit you and hurt you every time. So um, I I don't think there's any reasonable uh, argument that suggests Halifax are not going to be part of this promotion race right to the wire. Moving on then, just below them, we've got Bromley and Boreham Wood. Both won at home. Bromley beating another playoff contender in Notts County and uh, that's a big result again for Andy Woodman's side another goal for Jude Arthurs he's a, he's on quite a purple patch at the minute big big win that for Andy Woodman's side and Boreham Wood as well they came from behind against Kingsland to carry on their good form two goals for Josh Reese following up from his goal in midweek against Halifax and Tyrell Marsh on the score sheet as well so again it's uh, even though Stockport and a romping clear at the top, it feels like. The teams behind them certainly aren't uh, going to make it easy for them, are they? No, I mean, I think it's... Uh, I wouldn't say romping, actually. Um, I think they're in really good form, but uh, the teams below them are also in really good form and there's only they're only losing one or two matches between them, so they're keeping on the coattails, which means why this is such an important race, as we've said before, you know, the top 10 are still in, in, in playoff contention, really. There's so little room, six points 
separating Stockport from Solihull, who are in seventh. And that win over Notts County was obviously not not just important for Bromley. It was important for the other teams around that that playoff area as well, because these are all, pardon the cliche, six-pointers. Now, we normally talk about that as in, in relegation terms, but certainly in promotion terms. When a team up there is losing now, like, I mean, Rob mentioned Halifax had lost a couple before yesterday. It's really significant for all the other teams as well. So so that, uh, that Jude Arthur's goal would have gone down well at, at six other grounds. Just to build on Chris's point there as well, talking about how exciting and tight the, the promotion race is. Um, it's, it's, it's fascinating taking a quick look back. I've just opened the spreadsheet, boys, of our National League full-time predictions uh, this season. And um, there are a lot of teams involved in it and we're all still in it, OK? So Chris and myself have gone for Stockport and, and we'd only be human, Chris, if we... Uh, well, we, we'd have to admit that we've, uh, we will have had our doubts on those predictions uh, at, at certain times this season, uh, looking good at the moment. Luke, of course, Bromley flying again, um, finding those wins, even without the goals of Michael Cheek. Uh, and then Notts County, obviously, and Wrexham, a little bit further back, but definitely still in the title race. So in, in looking at the table, I think uh, there's, there's a phrase that we often hear, isn't there, which is goals win games, uh, sorry, strikers win games and defenders win championships. Um, and a note's got to be made for Boreham Woods' defence. They've currently conceded 15 goals, um, which means they're conceding goals at an average of 0.65 goals per game, which is absolutely incredible. Um, there's only two teams in the entire uh, football superstructure above them who are conceding at a, a lower rate, which is Rotherham United and Manchester City. Um, so I think you, you look at Boreham Wood um, and it's, it's very difficult to see them slipping away from that and uh, and anyone in the chasing pack sort of overhauling them. So uh, really, really good management from Luke Garrett. He's got a very well-organised side there who are tough to beat. If only you could get as organised coming on the podcast. Come on, Luke. Somebody tell him, Josh, give him a nudge. We want Garrard on the podcast. I thought you meant me then. I'm like, I'm on it. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last two teams in the playoff spots are Wrexham and Solihull Moors and a bit of a missed opportunity for Wrexham and, and they'll be without Paul Mullen as well who received a straight red card after just four minutes. Isaac Hayden gave them the lead but Maidenhead, they've done it again. They've blooded the noses of a big team. They've got an equaliser in the very last minute through Sean McClowski and also Solihull they took advantage of Altrincham having a couple of players sent off. They won by five goals to nil. A couple more for Andrew Dallas, Jamie Osborne, Callum Maycock, and also somebody you know well, Dickie, on the score sheet as well, Ryan Barnett. Um, different fortunes for both Wrexham and Solihull. Yeah, very much so. I mean, Maidenhead have had a really tough run recently when you look at the teams that they've played, but that just seems to inspire Alan Devridge's teams, and you know they've they've gone and done it again yesterday. Getting a point away from home at Wrexham is um, a bit of a coupon buster, I would suggest. Most people probably had that down for a Wrexham home win, but um, you know, and especially with the, the 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 feeling that's around Wrexham at the moment, you know, lashing out club record fees on Ollie Palmer, um, and you know they didn't get the job done yesterday. Um, we'll just have to see how important that result 
turns out to be in the context of the whole season. But yeah, it's Wrexham not having it all their own way. Solihull, you've mentioned there, yeah, that their third win in a row, fourth win in a row, if you count the FA Trophy as well. Andrew Dallas, I mean, goodness me, another two goals from yesterday. That's 11 in his last four games. I don't think we'll be looking very much further than him for the National League Player of the Month for January, to be perfectly honest. But um, yeah, they followed up with their, their 2-0 win at Torquay in midweek with another good three points. And they're staying on the coattails of um, uh, of the playoff chases, yeah. Just a quickie on Andrew Dallas, chaps. Do we think, historically, has any player ever scored 11 goals in one week before? Something to get Tom and Dickie onto, I reckon they'll be good <laughs> digging so, out the stats. So at the, start of, at the start of the month, Andrew Dallas was the 44th highest goal scorer in the National League. He is now the 8th. <laughs> a pretty good month. <laughs> yeah. Answer a stat question with a stat. I like that, Tom. That's like when a tennis player is like ranked at like 200 odd wins a tennis tournament and he shoots about 50th in the world, don't he? It's kind of like that a little bit. He'll, he'll have to defend his points around about January next year. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Nice one. So just below them, as we mentioned, Dagon and Rebbage, they lost. Grinsby got a good win against Wheelstone, who were, who were down there as well, and Maidenhead have leapfrogged Wheelstone. Uh, Barnet has been sucked back in again a little bit. One team who aren't and are pulling clear, well, two teams who aren't and are pulling clear, uh, a South End, they got a good 1-0 win away at Dover. And on Aldershot, Rob, they got a very good three points again. I'm really glad that you just grouped those two teams together because I think it's actually remarkably similar. Uh, South End a little bit later and took a little bit longer, but they're on a good run now. I think maybe one defeat in eight for them. Aldershot now one defeat in 12. Six wins, five draws and a defeat. It's unthinkable. It's unbelievable. I don't know what else to add because I, I talked to in, one or two people in and around Aldershot um, yesterday. I'm not talking about supporters, people involved you know, with, with, with uh, the media side of things. And none of us would have believed you if you'd have said two and a half, three months ago that... Uh, that they would have pulled away. But what's really interesting for me, and um, it was a, a somewhat fortuitous own goal, towed in actually by Brandon Goodship. And the irony of that yesterday was that um, Goodship's been with Molesley at Weymouth. He went to South End as well. Uh, and he's ended up scoring a winning goal for Molesley, albeit, you know, against his own side, Weymouth. But uh, Aldershot probably had the weight of chances in that game, which did look like it was heading for a draw. The comparison that I really want to look at and the contrast with Southend and Aldershot, chaps, I don't know who else has seen them play recently, but Southend, as I saw on Tuesday, are very much a possession-based side. They totally and utterly dominated the possession against Aldershot in the draw in the week. And Aldershot are, and they've never been this since I've followed them, they're an out-of-possession side. They're incredibly hard to break down. They defend so well now without the ball. They win it back brilliantly in the midfield through Jaden Harris and Mo Silla. They're just not quite so good with it in the attacking third. But uh, as they proved yesterday, if you keep clean sheets, you have a great chance of winning games. And uh, just amazing that Southend and Aldershot have gone a similar way, pulling 13, 14 points clear of trouble, but in totally different ways. Any of you other boys seen, seen Southend play and, and, and the way that they're playing? It's, it's very different to Aldershot. Tom, I know you mentioned about uh, Noor Hussain. He got the winner against Dover and he's uh, quite a unique player, isn't he? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I, I know I said on Tuesday, obviously, that Dartford fans were very unhappy about him being poached uh, 
in the middle of their, uh, you know, attempted promotion campaign. It very well thought of there. Um, he's, he's earned rave reviews across the National League South season. And, and it just goes to show that there's, there's talent lower down the pyramid and South End are finding that now. Uh, I think in the last week they've signed Callum Powell from Kettering, they signed Harry Cardwell from Chorley, they signed Noel Houston from Dartford, um, and all of them got minutes yesterday. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it really goes to show that, you know, we see too many of the big clubs come down from the, up the pyramid and they're only interested in what they can bring down from the league with them. Um, and we see time and time again that's the wrong option to take. Um, and so it's nice to see Southend uh, recently reaping the rewards of a new strategy. Yeah, Dickie, it's, uh, it, it's good, isn't it, to see that they've dipped into the north and south and, and they're going out and getting some of the, the be- best players in the north and south. They say Callum Pauley's resigned. He's signed from Ketting this week. He signed Harry Cardwell, Norhusin. So it's a good strategy, I suppose, isn't it? It seems to be. It seems to be one very much in keeping with um, John Still, who's the, the head of football at South End. Of course, he's um, built a, a terrific reputation over the years for, for doing exactly that, of, of being able to look into the lower divisions and, and find some diamonds down there and, and bring them up and polish them up. And clearly they'll be hoping they've done the same with these players. I know Kettering, disappointed to lose Powell, but didn't feel like they could stand in his way. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great opportunity for him to go back into full-time football again. Um, and, and maybe having learned some of the lessons of, um, of his youth, where I think he was a player at Rex in the early part of his career and, and maybe got, you know, distracted a little bit by off the field stuff. And, and, but he's really taken his opportunity. I mean, credit to Paul Cox for, for bringing him into Kettering and, and, and helping him back on that path. And he's just taken another step now and, and likewise with Cardwell. So, um, but yeah, we, we maybe shouldn't be surprised given John still being there, but it's, you know, credit to people at Southend for recognising that that was a better way to go in than to be trying to pick up people who were coming down the ladder rather than looking at people who wanting to still go back up it. Rob, quick one on, on Weymouth thing. You saw them. What do you think? Have they got enough to survive? There's two questions, really. Are they themselves going to pick up a steady stream of points and, and, and more than that? And the other one is, you know, how many points do they need? There's a bit of a gap above them now. I didn't see evidence of that yesterday. They had uh, a fair bit of the ball, but didn't really hurt Aldershot with it. I don't think they forced Mitch Walker into a save in the entire match, despite the fact that Aldershot were camped in their final third a lot of the game. Um, David Oldfield, I didn't manage to catch up with him for the podcast. Sorry, Weymouth fans. Uh, it just didn't work out after the game. I, I, I would have done. I caught a little bit of his interviews with the non-league paper and the, the club's media team and uh, um, he, he was talking more about how he didn't think Aldershot deserved to win the game and, and I found that surprising. It was a pretty even game. Uh, Aldershot Were you giving had him more daggers, chances. Rob? <laughs> yeah, no, I just, it, it, it was more, I, I was hoping to catch a little bit of what he's trying to do, how he's trying to improve things there. They've got one or two players that can turn it on in moments like Sean Shields. Very impressed with Aaron Drew, who's come over from Oxford City as a right wing back. Um, and uh, Tyler Cordner at the back is solid. They've got four or five pretty competent, decent National League players, but I don't know if it's enough. I don't know if the current personnel they've got there right now is going to be able to close the gap. What I would add is they have a far, far, far better chance of doing so than Kingsley or Dover, who are just for me, too far adrift now. I just noticed that the um, the bottom three in the table are all port towns and they've all been 
uh, they've all been left adrift of the rest of them. And I was just wondering <laughs> they could import any talent from Europe. And it's no good just coasting along, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> choppy water in choppy waters, aren't they? Uh, <laughs> Danger of sinking without a trace. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not going to be plain sailing. I'm, I'm going. Dicky's not coming in with any. He's normally quick off the mark with ease. He's been very slow. Yeah, I know. I he, think you're all just a little bit quicker than me today. But he, um, he, yeah. he, you see, Dicky has time and thought he's a writer. You see, that's what it is. <laughs> he, without the pressure of time against him, he comes up. Let's uh, let's, let's share this list. As Dicky comes up with way the best puns out of all of us. But uh, but there you go. We caught we caught you out there, Dicky, didn't we? Yeah, there is, there is some. There is something about a deadline that tends to bring out the best in me, I'll be honest. <laughs> I did actually hear that Dover have got quite a few signings on their way, but they're all just stuck in the traffic on their way through Kent. <laughs> the only other game we haven't looked at in the National League is a, it was a mid-table battle between Yolkin, uh, Woking and Yeovil. <laughs> it's easy for me to say. And, uh, it's not it, funny. It was Charlie, Charlie Wakefield who got the winner in the end, Chris. Yeah, and I didn't want this one to to, to go missing because fair enough. Yeah, it is a, a mid table uh, mid table game, but it puts to an end a six match losing streak for for Darren's, Darren Darren side in all competitions. So I saw his his interview at the end of the match, and it did sound a little bit like a backs to the wall performance, to be honest, to to get them over the line. But it's sometimes those type of performances that can set you off on a little bit of a, an unbeaten streak. And it sounded like all, the whole team was sort of galvanised and what have you. And at the end of it, if you look at his interview, he doesn't need to say any words because he's just so relieved, I think. And he he he, um, he was struggling to find the right words to, to describe the performance. But uh, yeah, a firm mid-table game. I don't think that either side are probably going to make the playoffs or, or get relegated. But I thought it was, uh, it was significant, I think, that they've broken that uh, losing streak. We're going to move on and look at the National League South. And, and in the National League South, Tom, I've got to start with Bath because... We mentioned it on Tuesday. They hadn't had a draw all season. Well, that's finally been broken. They got a nil-nil draw against Braintree. It won't do Bath much good, but it'll do Braintree a world of good. Uh, yeah, it will. Um, that's that's really going to help them. And even just that, uh, the mental factor that they're now not joint on points with Billericay at the bottom. Um, Billericay had a, a horrible day again um, at Dorking. But uh, yeah, really, really good point for Braintree that I, I just think they're going to pick up the table a little bit. I was really impressed with them when I saw them against Hampton a few weeks ago. Um, just worked so hard. Ryan Maxwell's got them. A really aggressive team. And um, I just think they... I think the signs of improvement are there for them. Um, they've actually started with a relatively settled team for the last sort of month or two, which is almost almost unheard of for them in two years now um, to have a, that sort of settled side. Uh, so, yeah, good point for them. Not a great point for Bath. Uh, Bath and... Real danger of just having a nothing season now after something which uh, probably in the summer had promised quite a lot. Yeah, you said about Billericay having a hurried day. I mean, they're up against Dark and you've been brushing teams aside in recent weeks, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, I say it was a horrid day. It could have been worse. Dorking put eight past uh, Haven't a few weeks ago. So um, to only concede five against Dorking, maybe that's basically a draw. I don't know. But um, Dorking have now scored 36 goals in the last 10 games, which is incredible. Um, they've, they've, they're just firing all across the pitch. And bear in mind as well, they've scored 10 in their last two without Jason Pryor available to them. 
Um, I think he broke his collarbone a week ago and is now probably out for the rest of the season. But still, they've still got Alfie Rutherford. They've got Matt Briggs, who for my money is the the best footballer in this division. Uh, they've got James McShane, who scored twice yesterday. They're just so good. Um, and no matter what Billericke do, it, it doesn't seem to change anything for them. Um, you know, we've gone from Bath, who've only had one draw all season, to Billericke, who've had six in the last 10 matches. Um, they're just struggling to convert what is at times decent play into goals. Um, they've signed Nico Muir from Hampton this week uh, in the hope that that will bring more goals. Um, I think that could be a good move for, for Muir. I, do, uh, I think a fresh start for him after the best part of three years at Hampton is, is a good thing. Um, but they'll hope for, for kinder games than Dorking soon. Where's this form come from, from Dorking? Because I know Mark White said at the start of the season he felt even though he had the same squad, he hadn't really strengthened much and, and they had a slow start, but this last month they've just clicked, haven't they? Yeah, they have. Um, and to be honest, I, I don't know. It's difficult to say. Um, a big it, a big part of it came when Jason Pryor came back from injury um, and he is such an important part of the way they play. There's no one else in the league who can do what he can in terms of receiving the ball into the feet and then allowing the entire team to play off him. Um, I think, you know, we, we played against Ebsfeet yesterday at Hampton um, and they're a very, very good footballing side. But for me, what sets Dorking apart is that they don't need the, the situation to be conducive to them, for them to be effective. They're the most adaptable team in this division. If you want to play physical with them, they are the best team in the division at doing that. If you want to go toe-to-toe with them and play football, they're the best team in the division at doing that. If you want to try and press them, they'll play through you. If you want to sit back and give them space to attack you and try and uh, play a low block, they can work their way through because they've got the likes of Wes Fogden in the middle, who's just going to pick the passes. Um, they're, they're a very, very good footballing side and a tough side as well. Um, they've signed Jordan Cheadle, who's added a little extra dimension from left back. They signed Harry Ottaway in the week, who's come straight in and scored. Um, so they are still supplementing where they need to. Um, and just, yeah, hugely impressed with them over the last month or two. You mentioned Ebsleet there then, Tom. I mean, you saw them again against Hampton and uh, Richmond. It was only a 1-0 win for Ebsleet, but what did you make of it? Because Ebsleet have been on a bit of a sticky run, haven't they? They have been, yeah. Um, but again, you know, it's noticeable that the, the two games that they've just lost quite heavily were against Dorking and Maidstone. Uh, Maidstone, who've only conceded five goals in the last 10, they've had seven clean sheets. That's going to be a tough ask. And of course, Dorking, who are on the form that they're on. Um, Ebsleet are a very good football inside. They're one of the few fully professional teams in the league. The fact that they're able to bring the likes of Jack Paxman off the bench on 89 minutes just to eat down the clock uh, is indicative of what a strong squad they've got. Um, and the way they played yesterday, kind of forced by Sefa Caraman being suspended after picking up a red card both on Saturday and Tuesday. Um, but they played with Chris Solly and Ben Chapman at centre-back. So that's two central midfielders at centre-back. And, you know, Kel Surprise, they were very, very effective at playing out from the back um, and just pinning Hampton down all the way through the game. Um, I don't think I've ever seen one side have so much possession. Um, but credit to credit to the Beavers, they did manage to play that sort of low block quite well and actually did restrict Ebsweet to probably only four or five good opportunities throughout the match. Um, Alan Julian uh, made a fantastic penalty save. I think Christian and Gesson had a, a shot flicked off the crossbar. But apart from that, I can only really remember Alan Julian making about two more saves. Um, but but Ebsweet are a good side. Um, Definitely. So Maidstone, they, uh, they're keeping up the pressure on Dark and really impressive win. They had to come from behind as well at Concord, didn't they? But second half, they really moted away from them in the end. Yeah, they did. Um, they've, they've had a really impressive uh, few months. They're 
eight wins and two draws in the last 10 matches, only conceded five goals. Um, Hakan Heyratin has really has really got his mould now. Um, five goals scored yesterday. Rory Deacon got a couple, I saw. Um, Mason are a very strong side. Um, they're probably the most physically adept side in the division. Um, and, and when you get late in games, that's very difficult to live with, as, uh, as Concord found yesterday. Oxford City as well, they got back to winning ways. Uh, they needed, well, three late goals in the last seven minutes against Haven and Waterlooville. And that prompted a really bizarre exchange between Paul Doswell and some Haven fans at the end of the game. Yeah, it did. And it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because Haven have invested well. They have backed Doswell. Um, I think potentially he's still feeling the shockwaves of that 8-0 against Dorking. Um, but I just, I feel that his record in the game and also his record at Haven't, um, let's not forget, they were doing really well in both the seasons that were disrupted by COVID. I feel like he's earned a bit more um, support there. Um, Oxford are a very good team. There's absolutely no shame in going down 3-1 uh, away at Oxford. Um, so I felt that I felt that I watched that video and I thought that that was a bit unfair on Doswell. And also the National League South, I just don't think you can read that much into the position in the table at the moment. Um, Haven't and Waterlooville have got a couple of games in hand on some teams. They've played a couple more than others. There's the, the matches played ranges from 20, 20 matches to 25 matches in those playoff chasing positions. So there's a lot to be ironed out. Um, and having a mortal Louvre only five points off um, Hungerford in the playoff places. It's tight. There's a lot to be caught up on. Um, and haven't do have the benefit of a big squad, which could help them quite well as they move forward. Um, but yeah, word on Oxford as well. They've lost uh, David Oldfield. Um, they needed the win to to get a bit of morale, and now they've had two in a week. So uh, one 0 against Welling and a three one against Haven and Waterlooville. Things will be looking a lot more rosy up in Oxfordshire. Yeah, Dartford back to winning ways as well. Tom in the Kent derby against Tombridge. It's a dress rehearsal for the trophy game in a couple of weeks' time as well, and a big win for Steve Kingside. Yeah, it's massive that um, they really really need that win. Um, they've only got, uh, that's only their third win in 13 matches, uh, which for a side who wants to be, the, you know, the not just playoff contenders, but title challenges, that's just not good enough. Um, Danny Leonard scored a couple yesterday. And I think I think with Norhusen gone, Leonard is pretty much where they're going to be looking to for their creativity. So to see him popping up with a, with a couple of goals will have given Steve King some, uh, some uh, sucker. And Jack Jeb with a with a wonderful free kick. Uh, if you haven't seen the video, look it up on on Twitter because it is a fantastic strike, and sort of uh, reinforces Jeb's reputation as one of the best set piece set piece takers in in the non league game. Really, good win for Hungerford. They've uh, leapfrogged Dulwich Hamlet uh, by winning three goals to one in Chippenham, staying the playoff places. They drew nil nil with Chelmsford. Yes, they do. Um, I, uh, you know, I said about it on Tuesday. I, I'm, I'm astonished by Chippenham being where they are in the league. I'm not surprised by Hungerford picking up the points. Um, I fully expect Hungerford to be in the playoff places come the end of the season. Um, and and the biggest reason for that is Ryan Seeger. Um, he just keeps scoring. 19 goals now for the season for him, um, and this isn't a fluke because he was doing it last season as well. Um, and while they've got him inside and firing, um, Hungerford are going to be a very difficult team to stop. Yes, at Albans as well, they, uh, they've they had a couple of bad weeks as well. They've got games in hand on the teams above them and, and John Goddard got the winning goal for them. Yeah, again, a good result for St Albans. Um, I think Slough Town, they've, they've had a horrendous 
few weeks, haven't they? Uh, or a week or two. So uh, obviously not not only did Christian Rose sadly pass away uh, last week, but then they had the news before, uh, in the night before the game, that, that Neil Baker's father had passed away as well. So it's, it's been a, a really horrific January for Slough. Um you know, we just wish that things turn around for them soon. Eastbourne Borough, they won 1-0 against Hemel Hempstead. Uh, Joel Rollinson with the winning goal. But a player that we highlighted a couple of weeks ago, Charlie Kendall's got uh, a dream move, hasn't he? He's, me- he's moving up to the Football League. And I know myself and Dickie mentioned it, that with, with what he's been doing in recent weeks, scouts will be looking at him. And ultimately, he's off to League One Lincoln, but they've allowed him to stay at Eastbourne for the rest of the season. Yeah, they have. Um, I was a bit gutted about that, to be honest, because Hampton have got Eastbourne on Tuesday. So when I saw that Lincoln had signed Charlie Kendall, I was pretty pleased. Um, and then when I saw that they'd loaned him straight back, I was less so. Um, but it just shows, you know, we talk about clubs who are shopping in the non-league. They've signed Ben House and Charlie Kendall in a week. They're clearly scouting uh, excessively. They're clear, you know, this is a club who are clearly willing to take a chance on the first from the non-league. And, and he's earned it. He's had a fantastic season at, at Eastbourne. Um, and being part of, of what is a pretty good Eastbourne side. Um, they might not be in the playoffs at the moment, they're, they're 10th, but if they keep playing the way they are, they will be. Um, you know, they're third in the form table. They've picked up 19 points from the last 30 um, and things are going well down on the South Coast. Yeah. The sixth Beatle oh, is. is awake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that, that is a signal for us there. to say goodbye to Tom. Goodbye, Tom. Yeah, cheers, guys. It's a pleasure being back. So we're going to look next at the National League North. Taking antibiotics when you don't need them puts you and your family at risk of a longer and more severe illness. Always take your doctor's advice. Search NHS Antibiotics. In the National League North, it's Gateshead who are still top and it looked like they were going to pull clear when they, they faced York City. But York City, you've had a bad week, Dickie. Um, showed some fight and spirit. I know that's something John Askey mentioned afterwards as well and they managed to get a point against Gateshead. Yeah, they did. Um, Gateshead were looking good for uh, all three points. Um, they took the lead through Sedwin Scott after 76 minutes. So I should also add, um, it's been a good week for Gateshead in terms of the fact they've signed Scott and Macaulay Langstaff, um, who were both amongst the leading scorers in the National League North, to extended contracts. Maybe that's just been to ward off any suitors a little bit, but it's, it's a real boost, a uh, real vote of confidence in what Mike Williamson's doing at Gateshead there. Um, as I said, they led through Scott, but Clayton Donaldson level within five minutes for York. Ultimately, that's a good response from John Askey's team. They lost 3-0 in midweek to, to Bradford Park Avenue, as we discussed. Um and they had a lot of unhappy supporters. But Askey said he was pleased with the response, felt that they matched them, should have had more goals. I think there was a contentious incident in the first half where York felt that a Gateshead player cleared the ball off the line with his hand, but nothing was given. Um, again, Mike Williamson, he felt his side dominated, but but felt the performance was good. Um, ultimately, I don't think anybody comes away from that completely dissatisfied with the 1-1 draw. Um I think it probably helps York a bit more than it helps Gateshead because they really could have done with um, getting all three to keep their lead over Brackley uh, to to, um, more than a point, which is what it's down to at the moment. Yeah, you mentioned Brackley. They won 3-2 against Farsley. Two goals from Matt Lowe and James Armton with the others. And it looked like they were cruising to victory over Farsley, who are now bottom of the division. But they were left sweating a little bit in the end, weren't they? Yeah, they weren't. Again, it's not been a great week for Farsley. They um, they lost in 
midweek and then their manager Neil Ross departed on Thursday which meant that their midfielder Dave Size is in in caretaker charge of them whilst they look around for another manager um Brackley, as you said, had that 3-0 lead, but Louis Fialdini and then Adam Clayton scored three minutes apart in the last five minutes of the game to, to leave Brackley sweating a bit. Kevin Wilkin, the Brackley manager, did say, you know, it was a timely reminder of how quickly things can change around in a game of football, um, you know, stressing the need for, for concentration to see games through all the way to the end. Um, for Fosley, yeah, not great. Dave so I said it's the same old story week in, week out. We're saying that we need to stay in games, but you know, we're making it too easy for the opposition to score goals. Dickie, a bit of a surprising result at Agra. Could have been strongly joined nil-nil with Gloucester. Yes, it was. Yeah, I think most people would have had this one down as a, as a home win for Harriers, particularly as they'd be looking to tune up for their uh, big FA Cup date with West Ham next weekend. It was also Sam Austin's 200th Kidderminster appearance, but he wasn't able to celebrate that with a victory. Um, Gloucester City went there, made of difficult for them. Um, put bodies on the line as well. There's a photograph of Ben Gehring, the, the Gloucester Central defender on Twitter, with his nose bent all over the place. But he, he seemed to be quite content that it had been in a good cause, that they'd got a point. They'd, they'd lost, I think, three games in a row going into that one. So it wasn't an expected point for uh, Gloucester. Keeps them in 20th. Um, and Harry is in third. Charlie and Hereford seems like a good game as well. Hereford have been in really good form, and uh, but eventually Charlie took the points, didn't he? Yeah, it was. A, this wasn't a game that I would have imagined would produce quite as many goals as it did, but it was 3-2 to Chorley um, at the end of the game, and, and Chorley level on 44 points now in those playoff places with Kidderminster and AFC filed. Um, Jai Gordon gave Hereford the lead, but then Hereford um, conceded three in the second half. Adam Blakeman with the free kick, Brad Holmes and Connor Hall. Those goals all came um, fairly rapidly after one another. Miles Story got a goal back in the 89th minute, but yeah, surely good for the victory and Hereford in ninth. Yeah, just below them, AFC Fylde, who've hit the buffers a little bit, haven't they? And Curzon Ashton, a bit of a resurgence now after a, a slow start for Adam Leitland, but a really good victory for them. Yeah, Curzon Ashton seemed to be finding those victories that they weren't getting in the early days of Adam Lakeland's um, time there. Um, was this the biggest upset of the day, quite possibly? Although, if you look at the current form, um, Fylde didn't have a great December. They've not had a fantastic January as well. It's been inconsistent. Um, Alex Curran put Curzon Ashton ahead after just 10 minutes. Um, and they then managed to hang on for all three points. They also hit the bar with a, a header from Adam Thomas, not long after that, Fylde have got some new signings. They've signed Harry Davis on loan, I think, from Scunthorpe United. Also taken Jerome Slew on loan from Hampton and Richmond. He was on the bench. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, whatever they've added to their forward line, it didn't happen for them yesterday. And there's a bit of pressure on Jim Bentley now. I think I did see some comments on Twitter last night. And, again, we have to be careful about comments on Twitter because it is just potentially a small minority of their support. But, yeah, they're not particularly happy with the inconsistency that they're seeing from Fylde. And I can't imagine that fifth at this point of the season was where Fylde imagined that they might be. Yeah, I was going to ask that question, Dickie, but you've just kind of answered it. I mean, it's uh, imperative Fylde get promoted this year, isn't it? I think so. I think for a, a club with their aspirations and particularly looking, you know, they're one of the full-time sides in the division and the outlay um, that they've had on players. But yeah, it's it's not working. It's not going for them at the moment, and they they need something to turn that around and quite quickly. 
South Southport faced Geisley and uh, they got a good 2-1 victory in the end to keep up their amazing unbeaten run. Yeah, 14 matches now unbeaten for Southport, which is just an absolutely tremendous run. Um, Jordan Archer got both their goals, one in each half. Geisley did um, level through Scott McLean. He's joined Geisley on loan from Spennymoor for the rest of the season, which perhaps is a bit of a signal of the direction that Spennymoor are going in. Um, as, as a team under, under Bernard uh, Morley and Anthony Johnson. But yeah, uh, Southport staying sixth place, Geisley in 19th. Good to see Archer hitting the target as well, eh? Ba-boom, absolutely, yes. <laughs> Boston, uh, they've, uh, un- they're under new management, Paul Cox, as we've mentioned, and, and what a first uh, home game in charge for him, a 4-0 against Chester. Yeah, a second home game, actually, because yeah. they... they, they they played in midweek and they beat Farsley Celtic. Um, Sorry, yeah, so, I, yeah I, mean, I was thinking it, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was second game. That's fine. It? No, no, that's okay. I mean, I mean, overall, the story is, you know, they're getting the bounce from Paul Cox's appointment that they were looking for. You know, Boston were just outside of the playoff places um, when they parted company with Craig Elliott, and they're back into the final playoff spot. Although it is tight up there. Um, sounded fairly comprehensive yesterday. 3-0 ahead by half-time, three goals from Luke Shields, two from Fraser Preston. Former Chester player Danny Elliott added the fourth in the penalty spot early in the second half. Um, but yeah, going well for Boston. Things have turned a little bit for Steve Watson since taking over at Chester. He went three games unbeaten in his first three matches, but then they've now suffered their third consecutive defeat in a row, and that keeps them in 16th in the table. Yeah, down at the bottom by, they've been on a good run, but they ran into Leamington uh, and lost by a goal to nil, which just keeps them looking over the shoulders a little bit. And, and your team, Telford, a really good win for them, back-to-back league wins and elite frog Farsley now. Yeah, they do. I mean, the Leamington-Blythe game, um, really important point that for, for Leamington. They hadn't won in 12 matches before yesterday, um, and it's been results in the early part of the season, it was sort of like helped to maintain them in mid-table. They had Adam Walker making his debut for them. He left Telford in midweek. Um, but it was a returning player who made the difference. And he, and he frequently makes a difference for Leamington. And Jack Edwards came on in the 63rd minute, um, a real impact as a substitute. Collected his usual yellow card, um, but then scored the winner barely a minute later with just about 10 minutes left on the clock. Um yeah, Leamington in 13th. Blythe, bit of a, a knock for them after their good recent form. Um, they're in 18th. But five wins in their last 10. They've had five defeats in there. But the important thing is the wins for Blythe there. You know, those you can go unbeaten, um, but not be winning games, you know, just picking up draws. But, you know, the, the, the boost it gives to you by actually just picking up some victories in there is, is clear to see. Yeah, a couple of uh, mid-table battles. Kettering, who appointed Ian, Ian Colehouse, as we mentioned in midweek, they uh, he got off to a winning start. They won 1-0 at Darlington. And I know um, there's a bit of pressure on at Darlington on Alan Armstrong now as well, isn't there? Yes, a little bit. He, he spoke um, very frankly um, after their 5-0 defeat at Telford last week and seemed very down after that result. He would have been looking for a response yesterday. but didn't get one. Uh, to carry Sheriff with a winner after 70 minutes. Nice uh, first win on the board for Ian Culverhouse. Uh, and a first Kettering win over Darlington since 1989, apparently. Yeah, the final game was another thriller at the Impact Arena, Alverton against Spennymoor. 
Uh, yeah, this was a bit of a topsy-turvy one. Um, left Spennymore manager Anthony Johnson um, ruining his team's defending from set pieces at the end. He said, you can't concede three goals from corners. It reflects badly on us all. Spennymore staying 12th, Afton in 11th. Frank Mulhern had put uh, Spennymore in the lead, but then Matt Reed had a penalty saved by Jordan Amissa in the Spennymore goal. Uh, Glenn Taylor hit then hit the crossbar for Spennymore before Connor Branson levelled. And then Richie Sutton put Alfreton 2-1 up before the half-time interval. Um, Reed headed in the third from a set piece. Taylor got one back. But yeah, that was ultimately enough for Alfreton and a much-needed win for them. They've, they've had a few losses recently. Um, they'll still be eyeing the, the playoffs as a, a potential outcome for them at the end of this season. Um, I realised that you mentioned the Telford game and I didn't actually come back and talk about it. So I'll talk about it last. Um it was an important victory for Telford. They climb off the bottom owing to this victory, 3-0 over Bradford Park Avenue and Farsley Celtics defeat. They were helped out very much by Dylan Motley Henry from Bradford Park Avenue being dismissed in the first 10 minutes for an elbow on Telford's Brad Bood. Brendan Daniels then put Telford there just before half-time and Jason Oswell and Mace Goodridge added goals in the second half to make it safe. Well, guys, thank you very much for joining us. That has been NL Full Time. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at NL Full Time. Give us a follow on Instagram as well. And don't forget to keep subscribing and you can hear us on all good podcasting platforms and give us a review as well. Until then, have a great week and we'll see you all very soon. <laughs>